Well, as the host team is coming, if you've got a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to take it and turn to Acts chapter 17 in the New Testament. You'll find some Bibles around the room on the floor. If you came today and you don't own a Bible, please take that one. It's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have it, and you can make it your own. We're going to celebrate some baptisms together in just a few minutes. I'm going to teach for a short time, and then as Ben mentioned, we've got seven or eight people getting baptized in this service, and 30 is total part of Genesis uh, all today. And I want you to know that when somebody is baptized, as their shirt says, what they're proclaiming is that they've been made alive in Jesus Christ, Uh, that Jesus makes all of the difference. And because he died and because he was raised from the dead, uh, well, we can come to new life in Christ today. And maybe for some of you, uh, maybe somebody's here today and you've never trusted the Lord as your Savior, Uh, today can be the day uh, that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, uh, that you're made alive uh, in Jesus. So we'll celebrate those baptisms in just a couple of minutes. But uh, the book of Acts, the book of Acts is a history book. Uh, If this is new to you, it's uh, written by a man by the name of Luke who actually interviewed the eyewitnesses to the major events that are captured and recorded uh, in this particular book. Now, Acts begins with the ascension of Jesus into heaven in Acts chapter 1. It's followed by the early days of the church along with story after story of men and women who courageously lived out their faith, uh, living out their faith faith uh, for the Lord. They, they were meeting each other's needs. Uh, they were sharing the good news. They were planting churches, you know, much like Altine and others have done in Albania. And as they were doing this, again, they're sharing the good news of Jesus with those that they're living around, those that they're working with, those that they are coming in contact with. And talking about Jesus was causing some trouble in this day uh, and at this time and in Jerusalem and so much that the Jewish leaders in one particular province, an area known as Thessalonica, called the believers this. Check this out in Acts chapter 17, uh, verse 6. They referred to them as these men, these Christians who have caused trouble all over the world. Or I like how the New King James Version records it, that these men, and we know women, who have turned the world upside down. See, here's the thing. Their primary mission was to tell others about Jesus. And because of what they were doing, there were people that were coming to Christ. There were people that were being baptized. And not only were they leading people to Christ, but they were discipling these new believers and then releasing them to go out and to share their faith so that they can make other disciples too. And so that's why Luke records they were turning the world upside down. Let me ask you a question this morning, Genesis Church. Do you want to be a part of a church that is known for meeting in a warehouse? Or how about this? Do you want to be a part of a church that's known for changing, for turning this world upside down? What do you want to be a part of? Uh, Or let me ask you this. Let me make it more personal. Uh, Do you want to live a so-called normal, safe, comfortable life? Or do you want to live a courageous, faith-filled, intentional life, a life that has the potential of turning the world upside down? That's what these men and women were doing. That's what these students were doing. They were busy turning the world upside down. And as they were doing that, what they were doing is they were looking to Jesus. They were, they were looking. They were, they were being reminded of everything Jesus had taught them as their model and as their example for life and ministry. See, an upside down sort of life is exactly what Jesus lived in this particular context. He, he was responsible, again, for these men and women who were bringing so much good and hope to the world. And he's the reason why we live. And he's the reason why we exist as a church, and he's the one that we want to model our lives after. Uh, He's the one that we want to model our church after. Here's the thing. Here's how how we like to explain it. We we, we like to say that Jesus came to the earth with a very uh, specific strategy. 
And uh, his strategy is what we call disciple-making around here. And that just means that Jesus initiated a process whereby early on in his ministry, he gathered a small group of people around them, and he just started spending time with them. And he started investing in them, and he was teaching them and influencing them and giving them opportunities to serve and to fail and, and to succeed and to have these wins. He, he was encouraging them to go out and amongst their neighbors and their families and to share their faith uh, in Christ, to share the hope that they had found and discovered. And so that's our model. That, that's what we're after as a church. That's what we want from every person who calls Genesis uh, their church, to be relationally driven, to invest in the people that God has put around you, to share your story and to share your faith so that others may come to Christ. And so we've been studying this a lot as a staff, as leaders. Many of you have been involved in this study. What did Jesus do? How did he live his life? How has he called us to live? And one of the easiest ways to follow Jesus' pattern, to follow his methods, is to focus on on four major challenges that he gave to his followers as he was making disciples of them. And they're in your notes. Uh, it's the challenge to uh, come and see. Uh, there was a challenge at the right time to follow me. Uh, there was a challenge to uh, go fish for people. All right, Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. And then finally, there was this challenge before he went to the cross to go and bear fruit. And with these challenges through the gospels, what Jesus was doing is he was modeling really a pattern, a method of disciple making. And so what we have found is, hey, we want to start seeing our church uh, in these challenges, in these four chairs, as I'm going to explain uh, in just a moment. What, what we're encouraging you to do is to start seeing people in your life uh, through these four challenges, through these four chairs. We want to see ourselves and ask ourselves, you know, what chair am I sitting in? Let me I'll explain what I mean by these four chairs to you. The first challenge, if you're taking notes, uh, is this. Again, was Jesus' challenge to come and see. And you can read about this in John chapter 1, verse 39. Jesus, what he did is he invited a very curious two men, Andrew and John, to come and see. Uh, to come and see. I mean, basically, uh, Jesus invited Andrew and John to come spend the day with him, to come spend time uh, with him. And so Jesus knew they had questions. He knew these men had questions about who Jesus was, what Jesus was saying about himself. Uh, he knew that Andrew and John were interested in spiritual things. And, and so by inviting them to come and see, Jesus was inviting them to come and spend time with him. And so we like to say that this first chair, again, the challenge in this first chair is a challenge to come and see. But as we see ourselves, as we see people, we like to say that people sitting in chair one are seekers. All right, if you're taking notes, we would say, uh, this person here is a seeker. And by that, we know that Andrew and John were seekers. They were seeking answers to questions. And uh, we would just say this, a seeker is someone who, it's a person who is interested in spiritual things, but not yet following Jesus. And uh, so sometimes the Bible will refer to this person in chair one as somebody who is lost. Uh, sometimes it'll refer to uh, a person like this as someone who is spiritually dead. But we would say this person is in chair one is a seeking sort of an individual. And here's what we know. We know that, well, we've got a number of people right here at Genesis, uh, maybe even here this morning. And you know what? If you were honest with yourself, you know what? You'd say, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting in chair one right now. I have lots of questions. Uh, I have not surrendered to Christ, put my trust in Christ, whatever you call it, you know. Uh, but you got questions, you're seeking, you want to know, you're trying to put all these pieces together. You want to learn more about who Jesus is. I want you to know this, if that's you, if you find yourself in chair one today, you are so welcome here. 
Uh, we are a church for chair one people. This is a church where you can come and put things together, figure things out. We want to be a church where chair one people can understand more and more who Jesus really is. And the fact is, at the very same time that we've all got chair one people in our lives, you've got chair one people in your home, potentially. You've got chair one people in your family. You work with chair one people. You've got chair one people at your school. There are chair one people that live in your apartment building or on your street. We've all got chair one people in our lives. And the responsibility that we have as followers of Christ and as a church is to do what Jesus did with chair one people. Spend time with them. Build a relationship with them. Get to know them. Be the very best at loving them, listening to them, helping them, encouraging them. Help them sort through their questions. But there comes a point where we've got to do what Jesus did. And that is at some point, we've got to point them to Jesus. Like we've got to share our story of, hey, you need to know what's making all the difference for me. What's changed everything for me? It's Jesus. And offer people to, to make this move in their life, to move out of chair one and to make a decision for Christ, and to trust Christ. Now, we don't know exactly what Jesus and Andrew and John talked about when they spent that day together, but what we do know is that Andrew emerged from that time with Jesus, and he told his brother, he said, come, we've, we found the Messiah. We found the answer. We found everything our heart has always been looking for. And that's what we want to see happen too. We want to see people make this move out of chair one and into chair two. We want to help people in chair one make a decision for Christ so that they can start living for Christ and following Jesus. And so we say that when a person reaches this point where they are ready to trust Christ, well, then they are ready to make this move to chair number two. And the challenge with chair number two is what Jesus challenged these men with. He said, okay, now come follow me. You had your time of seeing and understanding. You've made a commitment, and now come follow me. And so Jesus did this. We see him do this with a guy by the name of Philip. And when Philip first met Jesus, you could say that Philip was a chair one uh, seeker. But when the time was right, Jesus invited him uh, to follow. It was the, the invitation that Jesus gave to him. He said, hey, Philip, I want you to come follow me. And again, so chair two, this move from chair one to chair two marks the moment where someone makes a decision for Christ. Uh, this, this is where we would say, you know what, this person is forgiven. This person is trusting the Lord. This person has been redeemed. This is a huge move from chair one to chair two. And uh, some of you know that. You knew how difficult it was to make that move to trust the Lord. You're going to meet a bunch of people that are getting baptized in just a moment who have made this decision to trust the Lord. Some of you are in chair one right now and you just know this is a tough move to make. And so it's going to take time. And uh, we want to invite you to take that appropriate uh, time here. But uh, chair two, you know, after baptism, this is all about learning the basics. And so that's how we're, the, we're viewing our church right now and how we're going to encourage some of you as you come to Christ is, okay, we want to help you learn how to study the Bible. We want to help you to learn how to pray. We want to teach you, you know, from the scriptures, you know, what's obedience look like? What, what's it mean to serve, to give our whole life to the Lord, to follow uh, the Lord and to get ready, people ready to challenge them to make the move uh, to chair three because that's what Jesus is going to do. Again, he's going to spend significant time investing in a small group of men, people like Peter and Andrew and James and John and Matthew. They spend a lot of time together. In fact, we can see from scriptures, they spent about 18 months together in this chair before Jesus knew they were finally ready. They, had, they, they, they were learning, all right? They were growing, but he challenged them to make this move to chair three. And so his challenge in moving to chair three was a challenge, okay, now you're ready to fish for people. All right, it's time for you to get to work. In Matthew 4, 19, Jesus said to Peter, follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And so by inviting Peter from chair two to chair three, Jesus was basically saying, hey, Peter, you're ready to help others grow now. You've been growing. It's time for you to start putting some of this to practice. He, he was basically saying, you got a significant part to play, Peter. 
in all of this. And so uh, we explain it like this. Chair two is, well, it, it can be a comfortable chair. And so we want to be a church that's challenging people to get out of the comfort of chair two and to get into the work of chair three. Again, if chair two is a growing chair, it doesn't mean you're still not growing in chair three, but we're, we're helping others grow. All right, and that's one of the best ways to learn uh, even for yourself. And so uh, we call a person in chair three a kingdom worker. All right, it's like I'm in the game. All right, I'm not going to just sit on the bench. I want to get in the game. I want to be a part of the work uh, that God is doing. Again, it's someone who's now helping others learn how to follow Jesus and, and to come to Christ. It's someone who is ready to turn the world upside down. Here's the thing. God's desire for every person here today is that you'd be in this chair, chair three that we'd all play a part, that we'd all have a role to play in his work, in the kingdom, in this world, whoever you are. And he wants to use your life. He wants to use your story. Man, you're going to hear some great stories as people are getting baptized in just a moment. And uh, Jesus, he, he wants to equip you so that you can reach others, that you can do what these people in Acts were doing as well. But here's the thing, as great as chair three is, it's not the end. Jesus has got one more challenge for us. He's got one more chair in mind. The challenge of chair four is a challenge to go and bear fruit. And that was a challenge that Jesus made right before he got to the cross. In John chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus turned to his disciples, these men that he had spent all of this time with, raising them up to this point. They're playing a part in the work, but he challenges them one more time. John 15, verse 8, he says, hey, this is to my Father's glory. Basically, this is what gets God's attention, is that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Uh, it was Jesus' way of just basically, I've taught you everything that the Father has given me. I've reproduced myself in you. Now I want you to go and bear fruit. I want you to go invest in people. I want you to go make a difference and to lead people to Christ. He was saying, you are ready to make disciples. Here's the thing. Here's why this gets really exciting. If you think about it, if you think about one tiny apple seed, one tiny apple seed has the potential to turn into what? Not an apple, yeah. Not an apple. An apple tree, right? But do you know it's more than that? Do you know there's enough potential in one apple seed to produce, to reproduce a whole orchard of apple trees? All right? And so if, if, it's, if, if the proper things are applied, it, it, it has to reproduce itself, but has the potential of a whole orchard. And here's the thing. That's what Jesus wants to do in you and me. He wants to bear fruit. He wants to make disciples through you. He wants to use this church and people like you and me to turn the world upside down again to make disciples. We're going to call a person in chair four a disciple maker. And again, if chair one is a seeker, chair two is a follower, chair three is a kingdom worker, chair four is a disciple maker, what distinguishes these two? Well, if this person is learning how to lead others to Christ, this person, not in an arrogant way, but they've learned how to lead people to Jesus. And they're doing that and there's the evidence of that in their life. But here's where it gets really interesting at the same time. Not only do they get excited about leading individuals to Christ, but they get a vision for how they could reach their whole family or a vision for how they could reach their whole neighborhood or their whole college campus or a dorm or you know, whatever that may be. And God just opens them wide to just some great, amazing possibilities. I wish Altine had more time to share some of his story with you. But after coming to Christ, not too long after that, he was able to lead 18 of his 24 cousins to the Lord. 
his mom to the Lord, you know, his sisters to the Lord, and just how God has used Altine and others. They're making disciples, and how, how his family is now turning around, and they're making disciples too. And so this exponential multiplying sort of effect that takes place when we really do what Jesus does. So uh, we've got a seeker, we've got a follower, we've got a kingdom worker, we've got a disciple maker. These are the things that we're thinking about as a church. All right, this is a model. We want to study the life of Jesus. Uh, we're going to start realigning a lot of what we do as a church around these four chairs. Here's my question uh, before you, uh, for you before I wrap up today. Uh, let, let's suppose you're sitting in chair three today. Let me ask you this, who are you investing in? You have somebody in your life you're praying for right now, somebody that you're very intentional about spending time with, loving them, listening to them, building trust in that relationship. God wants every one of us, you know, that are in a chair like this to be to living that sort of way. But if not, what, what chair do you find yourself in today? For some of you, maybe you're sitting in the comfort of chair two, and it's a great place to be. But I want to challenge you as you keep growing to really think and ask the Lord, God, what do you have for me? Because maybe he's ready to make this move in you. He's got some greater things planned for you now to help you get more involved uh, in the game. But the last thing is this. I believe it's possible that for some of you here today, you're sitting in chair one. And we want you to know that we love you and you're welcome here. And man, we'd love to tell you more and more about Jesus. And as you're going to see again in just a moment, those that are baptized, you're going to hear the story of the difference that Jesus is making in their life. And man, we'd love to tell you about the difference that Jesus can make in your life for you and for your past and your present and your future. Here's what we know. Christ died. He died to save us. And God sent his son. And man, that can be a difficult, challenging thing to try and get your mind around that God would send his son on our behalf. But he died for us. And as the scriptures say, it is by his wounds that we are healed and that we are forgiven. And so he died for your sins. And that's crazy, isn't it? When you think about it, that someone would die for my sins, that someone would die for your sins. I mean, Jesus never committed any sin, never sinned at all. But God treated him on the cross like he had committed every sin by every person that had ever lived. But we who have committed uh, so many sins, we bear only the benefits of the cross. I heard a pastor say it like this. He said, God treated Jesus like he lived your life so that he could treat you like you lived Jesus' life. On the cross, Jesus was torn to shreds, but we're made whole. We are forgiven in Jesus Christ. We are made alive in Christ. John says it like this in John chapter 1, verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And in just a moment, we're going to baptize some men and some women and some students who have made a decision to trust Christ. And again, baptism is a symbol, you know, that we are buried with Christ in our sins, but that we are raised to new life in Jesus Christ. We get a new start. We get a new, fresh start in Jesus. And uh, not only are those that are being baptized making it publicly known that they've trusted Christ, but they are making it publicly known that they are ready to follow Jesus Christ. And they want to be a part of what God's work and what he's doing in this world. Can I ask you this question today? I wonder if there's somebody here that's ready to trust Jesus. And maybe you find yourself sitting in chair one today and you're ready to make that move to chair two, to be redeemed, to be forgiven by the blood of Christ. Uh, this next song that the band's gonna sing for us is gonna powerfully describe what he's done for us in Jesus. And uh, maybe you need to take a moment today just to hear these words and maybe respond as the Lord would lead you today. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift we've been given in Jesus Christ, the salvation uh, that has been offered for us through Christ's death on the cross, his resurrection. And uh, Father, I want to pray specifically right now for any man, woman, student, child in this room who has never made a decision to trust Jesus. And uh, Lord, maybe there is someone here that's ready to make that move today. God, would you put that on their heart in an undeniable way? And if that describes you today, at any point, at any moment, just respond to the Lord in whatever words seem appropriate to you, maybe to pray something like this, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me. Save me. Let's just kind of continue in this time of reflection and prayer as the band sings the words of this song over us.